Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast where we interview most of the good influencers in the NFL and around the world of sports. And I say most because we've never had Gary Klein on our podcast before, and I'm happy to be joined today by the Los Angeles Times uh, Rams beat writer Gary Klein. We'll get to him in one second. We're standing on the sidelines of the last Rams practice of training camp in Irvine, California. Let me tell you what we got on the show today. Um, I'm going to take you to Napa, California, to Raiders training camp, uh, where we're going to chat with uh, Jordy Nelson, the former Packer, who I have to say looks very, very strange in silver and black. Then we're going down the coast to Oxnard, California, to Cowboys camp, uh, and we're going to refresh you on the strange story of Lael Collins, the Cowboys right tackle, who had a most incredible entry into the National Football League that we'll talk about with Collins later in the podcast. So we're going to start here on the sidelines of Rams camp uh, and bring in uh, Gary Klein. And Gary, thank you very much, first of all, for joining me. But tell me, as you look out at this team for the last practice of training camp, what's been the major storyline or two of camp? And what do you think of this team right now? Well, Peter, I think there was some question with the new, so many new additions during the offseason. Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, Ndamukong Sue, Brandon Cooks, some very high-profile talent coming in, how they were going to meld into this operation, and it really has been seamless. You know, I think there were some questions given some of the big personalities about how that would affect things, and of course we won't know that until the regular season. But I think just the arrival of those players, uh, their influence already on the offense and the defense, I think has been, uh, has been kind of the storyline of training camp. Aaron Donald's absence, while not surprising, seems like a, a cloud over this team, obviously. But what's your sense of where the Rams are with Aaron Donald and whether you think there's a legitimate chance he'll miss any games? You know, it's funny, Peter, this is the second year in a row that Aaron Donald has not been in training camp. Sean McVay has never had a training camp practice, a post-practice press conference where he wasn't asked about Aaron Donald, so he doesn't even know what it would be like. Really, it's almost like business as usual for the Rams. They're used to operating, at least under McVay, without Donald here. I think there is a confidence on their side that something will get done. I, you, obviously, there's reports out there. There have been throughout the offseason, but my sense would be that once the preseason ends and Aaron Donald has safely been in Pittsburgh, not getting hurt, working out like everyone knows he has, the Rams and his representatives will really get to work on hammering something out. I would be very surprised, just based on history of NFL players, when you're going to miss a game check 
you have, you usually show up. So my sense would be they're not far apart on a number. I think it's universally accepted what range that's going to be. For me, it must be something that the thing that's holding this up is something like, is it tied to the salary cap? Something, the collective bargaining agreement, something that would make that contract obsolete the, as soon as he signs it, and maybe his representatives want something and the Rams aren't willing to do that. I think the one difference that you see with Aaron Donald uh, that I would look at anyway is that whereas Khalil Mack, uh, he's scheduled to make $16 million a year, which or in this year, on the franchise tag. So when you look at that, you say, okay, that's more or less a million dollars a week, a little bit less because they do it over 17 weeks. But with Aaron Donald, it's 6.8 million. Uh, that's, you divide that by 17. So it's a little bit less than 500. And, and I'm not saying that's insignificant, but it's a little bit different saying, well, you know, he's missing a check for 425 versus missing a check for almost a million bucks. Not that I think that is going to have the biggest thing to do with it, but I, I just, it's funny. When I heard Les Sneed say they're in the same area code or zip code, whatever it was, you say, Ballpark. well, yeah, that'll get done in the next few days. And then all of a sudden it didn't get done. So, you know, I, I don't know. You'd, you'd know much better than I being here every day, but it doesn't sound like it's going to happen in the next few days. No, I don't think so. And less, less need to his credit is usually good for a, a good quote. I think that was one of them. And I think it raised the hopes of Rams fans and, and observers who, who thought it might get done. But for, where, as I heard him say it, my sense was there's nothing happening till the end of the preseason when it really gets critical. And as you mentioned, 425, 450 is not the same as a million bucks, but it's still money you're yeah. not collecting. Yeah. And it's money you're not going to get back. Right. Um, couple more with Gary Klein of the Los Angeles Times. So, Gary, I wonder, I asked this to Rich Eisen recently, but long-term, Rams, Chargers, downtown L.A., is it going to work? Well, I think it's definitely going to work for the Rams. I think the Chargers are going to have an uphill battle no matter how they do. You know, the scenario I look at is if the, the Chargers could go to the Super Bowl this year with a legitimate team, right? And I think some L.A. fans will get behind them. But to be, they're going to have to sustain that over years to really, I think, build a fan base here. Where the Rams have it from the past, they've won last year and been to the playoffs, and they showed in the offseason, especially with this window with Goff under control salary-wise, they're going for it. They're yeah. making the investment. And you so, would know this. You would know this, but be, and I wouldn't know it. Is it fair to say that the Chargers are like the Clippers once were? I think that's kind of a common, yeah. I mean, remember, this is Los Angeles. This is different from Baltimore. I was just in Baltimore. I'm looking out of my hotel room. I can see Camden Yards. I can see the football stadium. Those two teams dominate the city. In Los Angeles, man, with the, Le the LeBron factor now, with the Lakers, you're fighting for relevance. And the Rams took some steps to do that with their offseason and with the hiring of McVay and how everything went last season. For the Chargers to penetrate, I think it's going to be really, really difficult. Finishing up with Gary Klein of the LA Times. Gary, um, what's this team like to cover? They're sort of, you don't, other than Sean McVay, who's this bouncy, energetic, mini Gruden to some degree, uh, probably a much more likable Gruden, mini Gruden, you know. But, but you don't really get much of a sense of 
you know, who is Jared Goff? Who's Todd Gurley? You know, now who is Brandon Cooks? Who is their defensive, you know, might? Mm -hmm. And so I, I would ask you, what kind of team is this? What kind of personality does this Ram team have? I think last season where their locker room culture was incredibly good, it was kind of bland. But I think we're starting to see with Todd Gurley coming off a great season and growing up a little bit, his personality is starting to come out a little more. On the defensive side, with Aqib Talib, Marcus Peters, and Dominican Sue, regardless of how they do on the field, there's going to be some personality in that locker room. And they've, they're a young team with some veterans like Andrew Whitworth, but as, as a group, in my experience, they're, they're very easy to cover. They're accommodating, they're 99.9% .9 of the time professional in terms yeah. of when they should be available. And, uh, and I think McVeigh has been the key to everything with this. You know, his energy, his youth, his ability to communicate. Uh, I know there's some probably some questions out there. Is, was that a one-shot deal yeah. as a rookie luck? I don't, I don't get the sense that it is. I think that these players really like playing for him. And if they keep giving him talent, this could go on for a while. What's your sense of how after... NFL teams have six or eight months to study everything that this explosive offense did. What's your sense of, A, how they'll do for an encore and how different they'll be? I think it will be difficult to live up to what they did last year. I mean, Goff was 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Gurley was great, not only rushing the ball, but also with screen passes. And as you mentioned now, this is there's no mysteries anymore. They've been able to study, defensive coordinators have been able to study this. I think what gives the Rams an advantage, or at least McVay, is the fact that now you've got Brandon Cooks in the mix. So you have a new weapon. It's not like it was just static. They actually went out and improved themselves. And if their tight ends can kind of live up even a smidgen to what McVay did with tight ends in Washington, that's going to give them another opportunity. The key, of course, to everything with this franchise is Jared Goff. And we saw him make a big leap from his rookie season to, to last, last season. Now, to me, the big question is, is Jared Goff going to take that leap to where he's going to actually win some games in the fourth quarter? And I think if he does that, if he can repeat what he did last year and take that next step, then this offense is, is set up to be pretty good. I met with McVay here this morning very early, and... Uh he just was shaking his head about the schedule. A, that uh, they're opening with the Oakland Raiders in the black hole right. with his mentor, John Gruden. Right. You know, it's like he, he really didn't need that. But I look at week one of the season, and that, that could really be tremendously fun. Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Gruden, McVay, two really fascinating teams, huh? And, and how about this? Will Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack be at that game? Will they be having a watch party by themselves if they're both <laughs> holding out? It's fascinating on that level, too. Which if Is one going to be there and, and one won't? You know, which, How's that going to swing the balance? It's gonna, there are so many storylines going into that game that it's going to be fascinating. I would really like to go to the Aaron Donald-Khalil Mack watch party <laughs> on opening night. You know what? That might be the place to be instead of the press box that night. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> Gary Klein of the Los Angeles Times, thanks so much for joining me. Have a great year, and uh, we'll be watching these Rams. Thanks, Peter. Support for Peter King comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. 
but today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. And here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then, once you've found that one, if rates have gone up, your rates stay the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com king. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to all public data records. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Go for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. And now my conversation with Jordy Nelson of the Oakland Raiders. Back on the Peter King Podcast. Happy to be joined out in Napa, California with Jordy Nelson uh, of the Oakland Raiders. And uh, Jordy, we're here as training camp closes for the Raiders. And I know you've had some time to get used to it, but it sure looks weird to see you in silver and black. How long did it take you to adjust to that? Um, it took about a day or two, um, obviously walking into a new building, um, seeing the jerseys. I think there was a little step of working out um, in the silver and black, and then when we finally got into um, OTAs and putting the helmet on and stuff like that. So, But, I, I mean, once it was about a day for each item, and once we got into football, it became football again and just playing with some new guys. You've been fortunate, in my opinion anyway, when you look back at your football career, if you play for two franchises, and it's the Green Bay Packers and the Oakland Raiders, part of me, when I saw you sign with Oakland, I said, well, maybe he's unhappy that he's not in Green Bay anymore. But, wow, if you retire having played for 
Fred Bolitnikov's team, Cliff Branch's team, James Lofton's team, as well as all the great history in Green Bay. How does that hit you? Um, I thought about it once I did sign. Um, to be part of the two historic organizations in this league, um, you know, that date back to the beginning of the NFL and, um, you know, two organizations that are about winning and first and foremost. So um, it's one of those things that I learned quickly in Green Bay. If you can win there and make history like we did in 2010, um, you'll forever be remembered and hopefully we can win some games here and see if we can make some history as well. Can you just take my listeners into what it feels like to have been such an integral part of one team for so long and to be, you know, the key guy with Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and then you wake up one morning and you find out maybe they really don't want me anymore. <laughs> what What is that feeling like? Um, it's a feeling of shock, probably, um, and surprise. So, you know, there's rumors going on, and um, I think there's a little truth to every rumor. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things that when but it But you happens, never really got far down the road with them in talking about a restructure, right? That, uh, no, it was pretty blunt um, that it was either be released or um, there was no restructure. It was a pay cut uh, to close to league minimum. So, um, but, so, I mean, at the end of the day, that honestly made it an easier decision. Um, you felt... When I had the meeting, it, it, you know, you could feel personally that um, there was to meet with the new GM. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Um, once that happened, and you realized they necessarily didn't really want you around anymore, so um, it made the decision easy. Um, so, but we're excited to be out in California. Um, thankful for the opportunity to be out here, and what, the way Coach Gruden and his staff approached me immediately after the news broke, and uh, to be able to connect with Derek. Um, when I was out on my visit and um, getting a feel for him and understanding that this would be a place that would work for myself and my family. It's got to be hard to realize that you had such a great thing with Aaron Rodgers and you're leaving and he's still going to play a few more years and you're going to adjust to a new quarterback. Tell me what that is like and what it's been like to work with Derek after working with Aaron. Um, you know, it's a new challenge. And to think we'll come in here and be on the same level that Aaron and I were um, isn't going to happen. I mean, you can't make up 10 years in four months. We're going to do our best to to get to that level as soon as possible, but um, there's a lot of history there, you know, over 10 years. So, but to be able to work with, with one of the best quarterbacks again um, is is an honor and a blessing, especially as a receiver. And we'll just continue to grind it out. And that's all it is. It's repetition. It's talking to meetings. It's talking outside the building, everything to get on the same page. Is there a difference, a big difference in the footballs that they throw? Football's a football. I mean, it's... I've been fortunate not to have too many, but um, but for the most part, footballs are football. Um, to me, it's more the mental aspect of the quarterback, of the throws that he thinks he can make, the throws that he can make. The way he's seeing the defense is more important than the type of ball that he throws. Um, with Jordy Nelson of the Oakland Raiders. Jordy, um, when you look at the way football is now, sort of the hard, cold business, do you, are you left with... I know it's a cliche, but are you left with any sort of chip on your shoulder to try to, whoever it may be, mm -hmm. to say, I can still be a force in this league? Um, not really. Um, I think, to me, that's almost a, somewhat of a negative thought process, which I try to avoid as much as possible. Um, to me, it's more of being thankful for the opportunity and wanting to 
prove Coach Gruden and the Oakland Raiders right for the decision they made compared to maybe trying to prove the Packers wrong, I guess is the way I'm looking at it. I think if I continue to focus on what happened in Green Bay in March and um, dwelling on that and using that for motivation, I'll never move on. So um, I've moved on and, you know, here and trying to do what I can for this organization and this offense and this team and um, try to leave my mark over the next couple of years. How confident are you that you can stay healthy for 16 games? You can be a 16-game player? Very confident. Um, it's amazing when you have an ACL surgery. People dwell on that for, like, the rest of your career, I think, because <laughs> um, after I had the surgery, I came back, played all 16 games. Last year, I played 15 and 16, had an AC joint on second to last week of the season. So um, the knee is not an issue at all. Um, that's the least part of my body that I worry about. Um, so is I, anything an issue right now, health-wise? No, not 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 really. Just yeah. being older and maintaining the body, to be honest with you. And it's something that's just a daily grind before practice, after practice, to make sure it's ready to go the next day. So um, there's nothing I spend extra time on, you know, one particular part. I just, you know, have my routine, and it's about getting into a routine and always has been for me and, and sticking to that. But um, I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that I can play 16 games, um, and I haven't since, you know, I got into this game. The only, you know, but... Some people love to dwell on it. I mean, you have a good game, everyone thinks you're back and everything's fine. You have a bad game and you're old and you have a torn ACL again. So <laughs> that's why you can't live the up and downs of, of the media world. Yeah. Uh, two other things for you, Jordy. Number one, uh, I've been talking to a bunch of guys on my training camp trip tour about body maintenance, especially older guys. Ran into Marshall Yonda, the guard in, in Baltimore. And he said, I go to bed at, eight, at 9.30 every night i never do not go to bed later than that and I, and if i can i'll go to bed earlier and he said i found that sleep is like a ped for me mm -hmm. you know it makes me feel so much better and then everybody's talking about kale is talking about the diets that they have so what have you done as your career has progressed to make sure that your body is in ap absolute optimum shape a lot of the same things. Um, Are you a big sleeper? I love to sleep. Sleeping is wonderful. And um, that's the one issue with camp. We meet till 930, and by the time you meet and do some other things, it's past 10 o'clock, and I'm the same thing. We start heading to bed about 930, 10 o'clock, and, you know, try to get those full eight hours or more of sleep. Um, for me, it's more of the routine that I have before practice, after practice. Um, I have something I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all the way through the week, and it's the same thing every week. Um, my body knows what to expect if it's cold tubs, hot tubs, massage, massages. Um, watching what you eat, um, how much you eat, and just make sure um, when it comes Sunday you're ready to go. Finishing with Jordy Nelson of the Oakland Raiders. Jordy, uh, I've watched John Gruden for a long time, going back to when he coached here the first time and going on to Tampa, and then I thought he was never going to coach again, and now he's back. The guy has been out of coaching for almost 10 years. Take me into a meeting room. Take me into the huddle. Take me onto the practice field with John Gruden. What do you see? What have you seen in John Gruden? Well, the first thing that stands out is his energy and enthusiasm and uh, the pride that he takes uh, being a part of this organization again. Um, and then obviously the knowledge of the game and understanding um, what he wants, the, the matchups he wants to create and how to create them. Um, I think some people, you know, act like he's football's passed him up, but football's football at the end of the day. There's a lot of coaches that have tried to, tried to come in and do some new things, and 
some have worked and some have worked for a very short period of time and then at the end of the day it's it's all about execution and running the ball catching the ball and making plays and tackling so um but I think his energy and his enthusiasm, if it's, it's every day in the meeting rooms on the practice field, is, is definitely, you know, carrying over into the players. I'll tell you the one thing that I saw out here on the practice field that I thought was interesting. I've never seen it before. There was a session in this practice today where the quarterbacks threw footballs without laces. And I just, I had to go up to him afterwards and say, what in the world is that, you know? And he said he had gone back and looked at an awful lot of TV copy of football over the last few years. Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, many times in the course of a game, they're in a hurry. They get a bad shotgun snap. Mm. And they've got to throw the ball without the laces. So he said, why don't we practice that? It seems incredibly sensible, and yet I've never seen that before. Right. Um, and that's one thing I think he's also gained by being away is he's been to a lot of different organizations and seen how guys practice and what they do and, you know, has taken what he what he wants from those and what he thinks works. So, but, yeah, it's being it's trying to be prepared for every situation. Um, if it's a wet ball, no laces, um, doing the ball security drills with the water-loaded balls that make them feel heavier. So when you have that normal football, it's nice and light and easy to carry. So... Um, they've brought out some new things, and it's been great, and um, it's a good changeup. Jordy Nelson, have a great year. Have two or three more great years. It's really good to see you playing football. I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. And now my conversation with Dallas Cowboys tackle, Lael Collins. Back on the Peter King Podcast, very happy to be joined by a very talented young rising star in the National Football League, the right tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, Lael Collins. Lael, here we are at Cowboys training camp, and when I look out and I see you as part of the best offensive line in football, I can't help but wonder what must go through your mind sometimes when you think back on what happened to you in the draft in 2015 in your personal life and how you've basically come full circle now to sort of reinvent your career and now you're one of the top offensive linemen in football what is that like for you now to consider that you know um peter it's it's been one 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 hell of a ride man um you know, first of all, I'm, I'm extremely blessed to even be here, even to just be able to, you know, do what I love to do. And, um, you know, it's not one day that I take for granted, but just to be able to, you know, play here for the Dallas Cowboys, um, to to have the bond, to have the everything that we have, not, not only as a team, but as an offensive line has been, you know, the, the greatest thing for me, not not just personally, but, you know, just for my career, just for life. And, you know, I'm very thankful. And, you know, I, every day I just continue to, to, to make the best out of everything. So I'm going to go over your story a bit. 2014, you're voted, you're playing at LSU, you're voted the top offensive lineman in the, in the SEC. Mm-hmm. 2015... You enter that draft, and there's a very good chance you're going to be a top 10 pick mm-hmm. and quite possibly the first offensive lineman taken in that draft. Just before the draft, a girl you knew 
while at LSU was murdered. Mm -hmm. A pregnant uh, woman was murdered. You'd previously had a relationship with her. So every team in the NFL is wondering, well, what is his role with this? Is mm -hmm. there any role in this? Mm -hmm. And so you went in the span of probably 24 hours mm -hmm. from being a top 10 pick to just plummeting down draft boards. And at the time, I believe you had gone to New York for the draft, Chicago. right? You uh, To Chicago. You went to Chicago for the draft, yeah. and you ended up just leaving there because it was such a circus. Tell me what that day was like, the day before the draft and the day of the draft in 2015. You know, it, was, it was crazy, man. Um, you know, it was a crazy time in my life for not only just me, for my family, and um, it was tough. Uh, I just remember... I just remember so much going on during that time. Um, and I just remember, you know, really just my family being there for me throughout the time. You know, my family supporting me, my family just really wrapping their arms around me during that time because it was so tough. But, you know, I honestly don't even know, you know, how things would be you know, if it wasn't for them, you know, because it was that challenging of a time for me. Uh, first time I really had, had ever went through something like just so serious, you know, at a very young age, coming straight out of college. And um, Were you worried that somehow, some way you were going to be connected to this death that it turns out you had no connection to? But were you worried that it was going it, it was going to basically kind of ruin your life? I mean, I, I was really just, I didn't know how to feel. Um, it was worry, it was just stress, it was anxiety, just based on the fact that, you know, I was that close to, you know, NFL draft, you know, all my family was getting ready to go to Chicago. Um, you know, everybody had their stuff ready. Everybody was, you know, just ready for that time. I mean. I stayed an extra year at college because I wasn't ready to, to come out. I wasn't ready to go to the NFL. I mean, I could have came out early, but I just wasn't, you know, wasn't ready because I, I, you know, I just felt personally I wasn't ready to go. And um, so, I mean, it was just so much time and so much of just everything I had as a football player that pretty much, you know, put me in position to, you know, come back my senior year, win the Jacobs Blocking Trophy Award, um, I just wanted to do something different because a lot of guys was leaving school early, and um, you know it, it was it was just it was just real challenging time, and you know I man I you know it, it you know I am still I feel like when I when I look back on it now it's like I'm here playing for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm here, you know, with some of the best guys in the league, guys that have helped me become a better pro, show me the ropes and things like that. And honestly, like, I don't know where or how my career would have been if I would have ended up with somebody else. Like, I couldn't see it the same as it being with these guys because these guys really showed me how to be a pro, hold me accountable to the highest level, um, and just, you know, this whole whole deal, even when I, you know, got ready to come to Dallas, those guys were the first guys that was there to greet me. Those guys were the first guys there to kind of bring me in. 
and take me under their wing. And, you know, that right there, I think, was the biggest thing showing me what it was like to be here, to be, you know, with this group of guys. And, you know, I, I'm just extremely thankful, man. I'm, I'm extremely thankful. Um, it's really amazing how it's turned out when you yeah, think about it. Yeah. Think of, in my opinion, especially when I saw that you signed that two-year contract last year. Yeah. And so, like, the way I figured with my bad math skills, in the first four years of your career, potentially you could make $18 million. Mm-hmm. It, that's not all that much different than mm-hmm. if you went to Team X right. and just signed a four-year contract. Correct. This would be, you know, you'd be basically near the end of it, right. and you would have made about that. Right. And who knows? You might be on a team with a lousy offensive right, line. Exactly. Or, you, you know, you I might mean, have been thinking, man, I, I, I mean, I wish the, I could go somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. I could have, you know, I see a lot of guys that get in, come into the league and, you know, their careers kind of fade away just based on their situation. The and team, where they were drafted. Where they were drafted, you know, the coach, the coaching that they're getting. You know, when I came here, you know, Coach Frank Pollock really, you know, worked, worked with me and showed me a lot. And to me, I felt like that kind of gave me longevity in my career because of all the things that he showed me, all the technique, all the stuff that I learned when I got here. And, you know, it's like I'm going to year four now, and I just feel extremely great. You know, I feel feel like an extremely different player than I did coming in as a rookie. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with Coach Frank and everything that, you know, he did just really show me the, show me the ropes. You were in one of the most unique situations probably ever in the NFL. After you were cleared, you basically kind of went out on the market. It was, you almost had your own personal supplemental draft mm-hmm. in which you could go and talk to teams mm-hmm. and you know they could try to kind of recruit you. Yep. And da- as I remember, the Dallas Cowboys had a bunch of players come in and have dinner, mm-hmm. and there was Jerry Jones there, and they were all trying to recruit you. So... Mm-hmm. Tell me what that process was like and why did you pick Dallas? You know, I chose Dallas, man, because I, you know, looking at it as far as, you know, being ready to to be an NFL player and, and I mean, honestly, I didn't even know, like, what it was like to be a Dallas Cowboy. I didn't, I wasn't, like, a big fan of, like, different teams or anything like that. But I just think that, like, you know, the way that everything kind of happened and, you know, me talking to Jerry right after the draft. Um, what was that conversation when you talked to Jerry? Was he already trying to put the sell on you to come to the Cowboys? Well, honestly, we just had a real just, you know, down-to-earth just talk, just about life, just about, like, me as a person, um, this organization and just different things and how, you know, I could come here and it could help me and how, you know, um, they could also help me. And I just think that, like, you know, talking to Jerry um, and then actually going to Dallas to sit down with him face-to-face and then also meet, you know, the guys on the team. Like I said, when I got here. Who was at that that dinner? um, It was Zach. Zach Martin. Zach Martin, uh, Travis Frederick, Tyron Smith, Jason Witten, Tony Romo. Wow. Coach Garrett, Coach Frank, Jerry, Stephen. Um, that's, a, that's a heck of a yeah, recruiting trip, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was just great, man, because, you know, the moment I came, it just felt like family. I mean, it, 
they really welcomed me in. And, um, you know, I, my mom was there. Um, and we just, we just sat. We was talked. your mom saying, this is the team? Don't, don't go anywhere else? Or what was she saying? What I was her advice? After, I think after, after we had dinner that night, my mom talked. And then, um, you know, she felt really good about just, you know, the whole thing. I mean, when she had a chance to sit down with Jerry, um, I know they, they had a really good talk. And I just think she just felt comfortable with me being here because she knew that, you know, just from that point that they had my back, you know, that they were going to be here for me, you know, not just football, just in life. And um, that was her biggest thing. Like, she wanted me to be around great people. She wanted to make sure that, you know, I was okay. And and I think that made a big difference because they ensured her on that. Yeah. Um, visiting with Lael Collins of the Dallas Cowboys. So I want to just ask you, as you sort of look back on this experience in your life and what's happened the last four years, do you think, do you, are you the type of person that says everything happens for a reason? Or do you have a little bit of bitterness about what happened back then that you'll always have? You know, honestly, um, I don't believe in holding, like, bitterness in your heart because, honestly, I guess you know where, but it takes away from you, really. I mean, it takes away from your development in life and, you know, where wherever you're trying to go or whatever your, your goal is in life, I feel like anything like that kind of takes away from it. And, um, honestly, man, at this point in my life, I just feel like, you know, everything happens for a reason. And um, I just, I can't question God on, you know, why things happen, how they happened, or why I'm where I'm at. Because at the end of the day, man, I'm still blessed. You know, I came in with nothing. You know, I, 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 I didn't start playing football because I wanted to come to the NFL. I mean, I started playing football because, you know, people embraced me. People, you know, wrapped their arms around me and kind of helped me. And I think just from that standpoint, the things that football not only teaches you, but shows you and the people that's around, I mean, they have so much passion, so much care for the game. And I mean, you can't just have all that and like, you know, just be just some old Joe Blow. I think you got to have meaning with it. And I think just all the coaches and people that just been around my life, man, um, all the mentors, people that has influenced me, man, really has kind of just helped me um, look at life in the sense of, you know, everything's not going to be perfect, you know, and everything's not going to go your way. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you know your purpose in life, um, it's bigger than almost anything you could go through because at the end of the day you have a purpose and you're just doing everything you can to work towards that and stay true to that and always remember what got you there and always remember, you know, what it's going to take to keep you there. And I think when you have that and you have faith and you have, you have God, you know, you got, you got a foundation that's strong. I mean, people can throw all the bricks and stones at you they want because at the end of the day, you know what you're standing on. So I think that, that's, you know, what's really helped me. I mean, I was raised in the church. Man. I, I have strong faith. Um, my mom, she's one of the strongest um, people that I know, man. And she's been so strong for me. She showed me how to be strong. She showed our whole family. 
and I think that's something that that's kind of that's with me to this day. Finishing up with Leo Collins of the Dallas Cowboys, I want to ask you about what it's like for you to play on this offensive line. I think any scout, most fans, analysts would say this is clearly the best offensive line in football. So tell me, if you can, what the experience is like. How do these guys make you better? When you talk among yourselves, you're in the offensive line room. What is that like? And do you guys sort of take pride in trying to be the best offensive line? Man, we take pride in everything. You know, I've never been around, and I say never, you know, I've never been around a group of guys that, you know, are so just inspiring because they show you what success looks like on a, in a sense of they do everything the right way. You know, they come to work every day. Um, Travis, Zach, and Tyron, you know, those guys, they were here before me. And, you know, it's almost it's, it's crazy because everything just kind of trickled down. The guys that came before them showed them the way, and they're just doing the same thing. And you'll have to do it one day exactly. for a group. Exactly. So I think just that experience that they have and, you know, that you know, I feel like that I have now, I just think that, you know, from day one, you know, they've always been about, you know, getting things done and doing it the right way. And that was something that just over time, you know, it, it came came with me and and you know, I'm just very thankful because they, they're not guys that that's gonna talk a lot, but they're gonna show you by example and that speaks way louder than anything that you can say and that's a true statement, you know, because I saw it coming in as a rookie. I saw it just by the way that they handled and did things. And, you know, I mean, now it's just like family, man. They're like, I mean, real-life brothers to me. I mean, we we always leaning on each other. We're always there for each other. And and that's key, man. I think when you're that tight, you know, can't nothing break you, man, because it's family. Yeah. Last question for you. I've always wanted to ask somebody who blocks for a great running back that when do you know in the course of a game that you have sort of worn down an opponent and and you know that when you hand the ball to Ezekiel Elliott that he's going to get 5, 6, 9, 11 because you have just worn down the opponent. What do you see in the opponent when you have gotten to that point? I think the biggest thing is, you know, when, you, when you're going at guys on the field and you're going at them, you're going at them, and you continue to put drives together, you know, you plays after plays after plays, and you're running at them, you're running right at them. I think, you know, especially with a guy like Zeke, I mean, by – you know, that, you know, 15th run or even before that, when they really start to feel him coming downhill, you know, that guys just don't want no more of that, you know. Yeah. And they know that we're going to strain every play. We're going to finish to the whistle on every play. And you got a runner that's going to finish the way he finishes. You know, guys just don't – they don't want to take that. You know, they don't want to continue to stand in there, get double team here, get trapped here, get whatever, like whatever we're going to do. They don't want to sit in there and take that pounding play after play after play. And when you got a guy like that, then you got a guy like Rod Smith, another big back 
that's going to get downhill and run at you and run at you. You know, guys don't want to sit in there for that, man. And I think that's the biggest thing. And that's the moment of triumph for you guys when you know that you've physically just sort of dominated the defensive line and defensive front. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Lael Collins of the Dallas Cowboys, thanks so much for sharing your story and your emotions, and you. uh, have a great year. Thank you. I appreciate it, Peter. Thanks to my guests, Jordy Nelson, Lael Collins, and Gary Klein. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Adam Schefter, Roger Goodell, and Tom Brady. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Quicken Loans. Please support Quicken Loans the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.